Welcome to podcast number 11, The Power of Relationships. Parent-child part one, the parent-child relationship. Now, for the last several weeks, I have discussed relationships and their importance to mental illness as more of a general topic um, with some very specific perspectives. Uh, Today, I would like to dive further into the more complicated topic of relationships and mental illness. Relationships can be very beneficial to the one who is suffering, but yet they can also be destructive. Mental illness creates conditions whereby the one who suffers can receive strength and support, and those same conditions can cause that the sufferer remains in an abusive relationship. I realize that what I've said may seem outwardly strange, that the same conditions presented by the disease can create two very different results, but it is very true for most individuals who are afflicted. Hopefully, after the discussion today, you'll be able to better understand how this and other conditions arise in the different types of relationships we experienced with our loved ones. Now, as a note, there are going to be two episodes covering this topic. The first one, which is the parent-child relationship, where the child obviously is one who's suffering. And the second will be the spousal relationship, where the husband or wife or significant other close friend is suffering. Now, the parent-to-child relationship. The parent-to-child relationship is a unique and often complex, ever-evolving, daily-changing pattern of shepherding, guiding, encouraging, sometimes strongly encouraging, cycle of communication and teaching. It's a matter of reading patterns and signs, working through tough issues, sometimes just loving and laughing. It is one of the most frustrating yet beneficial and rewarding relationships we will ever have in this life and the next. It is the method of salvation and exaltation that the Lord has established for his children that they might learn the difficult lessons of mortality with a mentor at their side. Now, I know what I've said is kind of simplistic and yet broad all in the same breath. I realize that the parent-child relationship is ever-changing and can have some very difficult moments along the pathway. I suppose that agency creates wonderful privileges and blessings and at times some terrible consequences all at the same time. And the parent walks through all of them with the child, rejoicing and sorrowing. All of this is to say that what we call raising children is difficult without the strain of a mental illness thrown into the mix. When mental illness becomes part of the maturing process, the art and science of raising children can become even more multifaceted and more difficult. One of the major problems with children and youth who have mental illness is that the illness itself can be difficult to detect. Children, and especially teenage youth, go through some fairly drastic changes in their bodies and minds. These changes and their effects can at times manifest similar outward emotions and actions that mimic mental illness, both depression, bipolar, and so forth. A young teen passing through the changes of hormones can be moody, depressed, elated, very verbal, not so outspoken, rebellious, and obedient. And that all of that can be within the same day. It is very often very difficult to tell when depression has taken hold and when it is simply a matter of hormonal changes. We have discussed depression as a long-term illness, one in which symptoms last much longer and persist more consistently than a bad day or week. Often people even have bad months. However, during those time frames, those bad days, weeks, or months are often followed by a renewal of the positive feelings once the external or hormonal forces recede or have had sufficient time to pass. In other words, while the trigger event caused a reaction in the body, 
the chemical emotions didn't just stick around. This is not to say that emotions turned entirely upbeat. It is to say that the individual bounced back, and the feelings of what depression would be, self-doubt, low self-esteem, fatigue, lack of desire, reticence to socially engage, uh, just didn't remain when the trigger event faded. Sometimes a trigger event is not one event, but a series of problematic events, such as bullying, social pressure, sometimes even church pressures and stress. I realize that I have probably talked about trigger events or a series of events as if they don't cause long-term clinical depression. They do. But clinical depression does not always have a trigger event. And trigger events can also cause short-term depression as well. So trigger events are not necessarily a definitive cause of clinical depression. Along with all of the emotional and physical changes in today's youth, that are, they are required to develop self-discipline much earlier, learn how to deal with copious amounts of stress, and to process significant amounts of information, both true and false, and learn how to differentiate between the two. They're expected to meet real and perceived expectations of parents, teachers, spiritual leaders, and even community, state, and federal education requirements that change regularly, all while trying to simply navigate the most significant maturing change that will take place in their bodies over their lifetime. It is to be expected that they will experience the overwhelming feeling of a world in chaos and at times feel lost, overburdened, pressured, and yes, even depressed. Now, I'm not talking about clinical depression, but a depression brought about by stress and external forces pressing so deeply upon the body and the mind that its coping mechanism is to depress the body so that the sufficient rest can be obtained. However, one cannot tell the difference between the clinical and the external forces type of depression, except when the external forces are reduced sufficiently to allow the body to recover. Your teenager is likely to be depressed at least once, if not many times, during their years of maturity. The same applies to even the preteen generation, who are facing adult choices far earlier than any other generation. I think you understand the implication. Youth need time to mature, and often need some pressures reduced. This doesn't mean that you have to move them from every activity they're involved in. What it does mean is that you teach stress management skills, coping skills from when you can't reduce the stress, and you teach them how to slow down a little and enjoy life. Now, you yourself are going to have to understand how to enjoy life to teach it, but I think that you understand what I'm trying to say. Teenagers need time to rest and recover. Time to be teenagers. So how do you tell the difference, difference between hormones slash maturing and a clinical depression? Well, you stay close to them and recognize the symptoms and the length time they persist. My own symptoms during my teenage years varied as I matured, but the most poignant memory was really crying for no reason. You understand that I had all of the normal symptoms of depression, but the crying for no real reason seemed to be this one symptom that really defined it for me. This wasn't a one-time episode either. It would happen many times, and the pattern didn't seem to change or stop for long periods of time. Now, we expect teenagers teenagers and preteens to move through phases in their maturity. And while I did in some aspects and others, I did not. It was not one moment in time that would have allowed my parents to diagnose me. It would have been fairly consistent pattern over time. That is the difficulty with the disease. It isn't easy to diagnose and see patterns over time. So my answer is to stay close. And when the depression comes regularly and stays and the child and the child's friends have no clear answer as to why, then it's probably time to consider help for them. 
Remember that we don't all react to depression in similar ways. Some will cry for no reason, others will get angry, and still others will be withdrawn and sullen, possibly for no reason. The key is the reason why, for the most part. This doesn't mean that the child won't give a reason. The most frustrating part of some clinical depression is that the mind is looking for a cause that doesn't exist. And that brings reactions of anger, tears, sullen, withdrawn, and so forth. Now, it is also important to remember that trigger events, such as bullying, burst, now abuse, verbal, physical, sexual, and so forth, accidents, and a variety of other things can also cause depression and even lead to clinical depression. But there is not always a cause for the depression. Both types of depression, both cause and no cause, can be debilitating and last for a lifetime. Or they can be shorter. What I'm really saying is that you need to watch for the signs and listen. The first and probably the most important aspect of a child with depression is keeping communication lines open. It will not be easy, as their internal forces are telling them to break free from the mothering nest. And depressed humans don't like to talk. So you do your best, and then you hope for the best. There are reasons that in the church we have classes, quorums, leaders. Sometimes the child just needs a different listening ear. And that's okay. Yes, the parents should be the first line of defense, but sometimes they just need someone else. There are a variety, well, there are a variety of strategies parents can use to help the communication lines. Now, I thought about mentioning some of them, but I'm going to leave that to the parents to discuss. Each child will need something different, and even children in the same family mature differently. If a child suffers with depression, communication is going to be more difficult because this is one of the aspects of development that depression often affects dramatically. Additionally, building stable relationships will also be affected in various ways as they mature if they have depression. So every parent will need to study how best to help their child and then take those concerns to the Lord. I cannot begin to provide every strategy, but I know that the Lord can provide the one that is needed for your child. The second thing is to watch for the depression signals. Children are more likely to stop masking depression when they are home. Signs of depression can be found at a number of mental health websites. It is important to remember to watch for all of the signs. Depression can manifest itself in a variety of ways and scenarios. And just looking for particular signs such as reclusion and withdrawal may actually not be sufficient. Ask questions about how they are feeling. Specific questions rather than the general, how are you feeling? Say that you've noticed a difference in them and are concerned. Remember that depressed individuals don't know that they are depressed oftentimes. I have previously discussed how this can be true. Watch for the signs and ask questions and be observant. The parent is the most likely person beyond maybe a teacher who regularly interacts with them and could notice the signs. Now, it doesn't hurt you to talk to their friends about what they are seeing. Yes, you definitely need to tell your child that you did so before, you, before they ask you. Third, if you suspect that they're having a difficulty, then don't overreact. Simply talk to them about what you're seeing and how you might be of help. Counseling is always a good start. If not with a counselor, then with someone they trust. They are going to need to learn, learn some skills to manage and cope with the stress and the emotional instability of mental illness. Going to a professional can help you decide treatment options. 
Now, the sooner you do this is probably better for them and for you. Now, I understand the stigma attached to seeing a counselor and talking about the issues in your life. Hollywood has degraded and reduced the role of a professional counselor to a punchline. And so you become that punchline when you think about going to a professional. Your children also understand this. So you will have to redefine the role for them and allow them to see the benefit. Fourth, while the child will need support, even if they're young or old, never talk about their difficulties behind their back. Always let them know who you will talk to and that you will do it to help them. Limit your conversations to those who need to know or can help. Nothing will be worse than for the child to discover that social peers now have information with which to torture them in public. Fifth, do what the prophets have said all along. Spend time with the child. Go to a movie, go to dinner, go for a hike, do something they like to do, and that might even be being humiliated by them in a game they love. Invite them to be involved in family meetings, games, family home evening, and so forth understanding when sometimes those things will be too much for them. Also, I would also recommend listening to the previous podcast entitled How Can I Help for some more insights. Most of all, turn to the Lord for help. He knows exactly what the child needs. Now remember, the child may not respond as you would expect, so be patient and keep the Lord in the conversation. The Lord will let you know what to do. Finally, don't do the Lord's work for him. Sometimes in our desire to help, we want to cause a change to take place in the child. We get a little overzealous. Remember that we plant and nourish, and the Lord provides the increase. Relationships with children who are struggling with depression are going to be difficult by nature. Now, depression does not lend itself to relationships. Often they are one-sided. So do not get discouraged. The, first thing you, the worst thing you can do is, get, is to give up. I know that it causes you pain to see your child suffer. I get it. I have at least three children with mental illness, and even though I have passed through a good portion of my life with the disease, it doesn't make it any easier for me to see my child suffer. So be patient and love them. One day, we will see them in all their glory and perfection, and we really won't remember those difficult days. One final thought regarding our children in this parental relationship. We want our children to be better, to do better, become better, serve better than us. We want perfection for them. We want them to be more experienced, intelligent, charitable, kind, loving, generous than we have been in our lives. We want them to become in some ways what we didn't. We want all of this without sin, without heartache, without trial, difficult times, suffering and pain for them. And we as parents somehow think that they can learn everything we have without experience what allowed us to learn it. If we truly want more for them than what we have obtained, then we must be willing to let them experience things far more difficult than we did, with much greater pain, suffering, heartache, and yes, sometimes sin. Our job is not to soften the blows, although we will try. Our job is to heal and help them back to the path. Now for the mentally ill person, child. What can one who is ill do to help in this relationship? This is going to sound cliche and probably not what you want to hear. Listen. Listen to your parents, your friends, who are your true friends, and your spiritual leaders. Now before you turn away from that idea, 
listen just for a few minutes. Depression is not something you can see from the inside. It is a terrible illness that turns your reality upside down. And while it is part of you, it isn't you. Your parents, teachers, and those who love you can see the difference in you and what it is doing in your life. I know that it is difficult to imagine that your own body could be ill without you knowing first, but that is how depression works, and all mental illness for that matter. It takes you from, it changes you from the inside and makes everything slowly seem dark and meaningless. Yes, you will feel better some days than others, but overall this illness is slowly changing the person you once were. Now I know that you seek for peace and happiness you once enjoyed, and can't seem to find it. You search in relationships, entertainment, maybe perhaps even drugs, alcohol, and other types of substances, whatever can mask the emotional pain. You just want the pain to end. Perhaps even suicide has crossed your mind. I know the pain. I know the desire and the lack of desire. And I even know the feeling of suicide. I know that you don't feel the spirit as you once did. It is difficult to feel or even imagine God and feel his presence. You try to do the right things, but all you feel is emptiness. The harder you try, the less you seem to feel what is right. You don't feel happy at church, reading scriptures, at the temple, or anywhere you really should feel happy. If God does exist, it feels as though he's abandoned you. The efforts you make without results seems futile and without meaning. When someone asks you if you believe in the church, if you believe the church to be true, feelings don't come as they once did. And you may find it simply easier to back away from the church and its teachings because where there was once joy, now there only seems to be an emptiness and a pain. It breaks my own heart to know that you feel the way you do. I have felt all of those feelings and so much more of what you are feeling but can't express. You want your desires to return. You want the feelings of the spirit to return. You want happiness and joy back in your life. You want to serve and feel those powerful moments of peace. I understand. Maybe you've drifted into the world searching for your happiness, you made choices against what you once believed and feel lost. If you have felt any of these feelings and so many others, there is a place of peace and a place of happiness that can be found. What I do know is that you have an illness. It is not an abandonment of the spirit or the Lord turning it back. It's simply a chemical, physical change in the mind and body that can be treated. So when I said listen to those who truly love you, I mean listen to them so that they can help you. The treatment road is not always an easy one. Likely, there are addictions that will need to be healed, relationships that need mending, and so forth. But I can say with certainty that if you follow the path that leads you to treatment, you will find a loving Savior who is full of mercy and who is waiting for you. You will feel spiritual things again. and you will, Now, you will also have tough days when you want to give up, but they will be far fewer than they are now. Now, your testimony is not gone. It is simply covered by a disease so deeply that all it needs is some help. Once your treatment takes hold, feelings will return. Joy will be again yours. 
I know because I have felt those feelings of joy again after a season of darkness and emotional pain. So I will say it again. Listen, and you will find what you so desire. Now remember, the Lord requires the fight, and he can do his part. Now, as noted in the introduction to this podcast, our next discussion will be the spousal relationship or those special relationships in our lives. Now, I can also include any significant other, fiancé, and really good friend in that discussion. Until next time.